Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. All right, we're going to turn back to Acts 13. Acts 13. So if you have your Bible, turn there. And just uh, one thing so you know, next week we will not meet. So I will not be here. I'll be out of town next week. Scott's gone, several are gone, so we will not meet next week. So we'll come back the week after, but no Wednesday word next week, whatever the date. I think that's the 8th. Is that right? Today's first, right? So yeah, so next week on the 8th, we will not meet. So don't forget that. But as we turn over to Acts 13, we of course are looking and studying through the book of Acts. And the primary reason we are doing that is because I want you to be ready and... You might say, well, ready for what? I want you to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ because He is coming back. And I believe that God's Word tells us not exactly when He's coming back because no one knows that, but we will know the season in which He is coming back. And there are going to be some things that are going to happen. There are going to be some signs. But there's also going to be some things for you to do just before He comes back. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to that. You are sent out for that, and that's what you're going to see today. But we need to know not only when it's getting close, but we need to know what we are called to do. And so I just believe this. I believe the book of Acts is a great book to look at because I believe God is going to do again what He did before. So I believe God's going to do exactly the same thing He did in the beginning. He's going to do it again at the end. And so just before Jesus Christ returns, you're going to see the book of Acts again. And I believe you're going to live the book of Acts because I believe it's soon. So if you still have breath, you're going to live these words. And so we're going to see the exact same things happen that happened almost 2,000 years ago. So that's why we're looking at the book of Acts. And of course, the theme verse for the entire book of Acts is Acts 1.8. And these are Jesus' words just before He ascends up into heaven. So really His last words on this earth are Acts 1.8. And what He says... As he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And then he says where? From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. So that is what is going to happen. It happened back almost 2,000 years ago. It's been happening for 2,000 years, but it's really going to ramp up and happen right before Jesus Christ returns. And that's what God's Word teaches. And so we need to know what happened in the book of Acts so we will know what to do when that time gets here. And I'm hoping it's soon. Amen? And so Acts 13 is a great place to look because Acts 13 is about a church. And it's a church we really don't talk a lot about. When we think about the church in the book of Acts, what church do we think about in the book of Acts? Jerusalem, right? We think about Jerusalem. We think about where it started. But in all honesty... If you look at the church of Antioch here in Acts 11 and Acts chapter 13, God used this church in an incredible way. And I believe He used the prayers of this church to change the world forever. And so that's just what we're going to look at. And so we're going to look at several points of this. So we looked a little bit last week. And I asked you a question at the start of last week. Why do some churches seem to flourish and impact their community with the gospel while others are just dying on the vine, basically? And so... I mean, the answer to that, if you go down to the root of that, it's because some churches follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and others don't. 
Now, there's, there's other aspects of that, but that's pretty much what it is. You have churches that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God and will do what He says, and you have churches who aren't and don't hear a word He says hardly. And so that's the difference in churches. And so the church of Antioch is definitely a church that heard the Holy Spirit. How do I know? Well, it says it. <laughs> Just look at the first few verses there, Acts 13. This is what it says. Among the prophets and the teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, and Menean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Okay, so did they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Literally, they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what the church of Antioch heard. So why did they hear His voice? And why were they so willing to follow His lead? Well, I told you last week, I believe that one of the primary reasons they were able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit is because they had a spiritual ministry. Now, you probably don't get what I'm saying when I say that. Most of the time when I think of ministry, what do we think? We think of work or we think of doing things or we think of serving other people, right? We think of it here from an earthly perspective, right? That is not what I'm talking about. Their ministry was a spiritual ministry. They ministered to the Lord. That was their ministry. That was their primary ministry. That's what they did first. How do we know? Well, what did they do? They worshiped. They fasted. They prayed. That's what it says right there. It was a spiritual ministry. They ministered to the Lord before they ever tried to minister to man or mankind, right? That's what they did. And so because of that, what did God do for them? He was near to them, and He spoke to them, and they literally heard His voice. Churches must have a spiritual ministry to have any impact whatsoever for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid so often this is what we miss. We are so zealous for doing what Jesus tells us to do, whether it be serve those in need or share the gospel, that we get out ahead of our skis and we don't do what we should do first. And that is minister to the Lord. And the primary way we do that is worship. Because that's the only way you can do that. Because you ain't got nothing else he needs. So when you worship him, you minister to him. When you fast, you just show your dependence on him. When you pray, that's how God works. And then that's when God moves. So that's what the church of Antioch did. They had a spiritual ministry. But they not only had a spiritual ministry, they had a missional ministry. Their heart was missional. And why do you think their heart was missional? Because God's heart's missional. That's His heart. That's the theme of the book of Acts, correct? What did I just tell you? Acts 1-8. What's the theme of the book of Acts? You will be my witnesses where? In your community? In your church? In your neighborhood? Yeah, but not just there, right? Everywhere, even to the ends of the earth. 
God's heart is for every person on this earth to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they had a missional ministry. Okay, so let's look at the mission. Look at verse 4. Very important verse here. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by who? Okay, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, when did Jesus say in Acts 1-8 that you would receive power and you would be my witnesses everywhere? When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Okay, did it happen before that? Did Jesus go to the ends of the earth? Never did, did he? He stayed right there in a very small, probably 90, 100-mile radius the whole time, except when he was a child, the whole time. Never left, never went to the ends of the earth. Did Jesus ever lead cities to the Lord? No, never. Never did he lead a whole city. Did he even lead large groups of people to the Lord? Well, they followed him, but did they stay with him? Did they endure? Heck no, they didn't. How many were left when he died? 120. Okay, would Jesus' ministry be successful in our day in the West? No, heck no. Jesus would not get any speaking engagements in large conferences in North America, would he? They would say, you only had a church of 120 people? Nah, we want to hear from somebody that's better than you. Right? How do we define success in America? In the church. Numbers, money, buildings, all this garbage, okay? But something changed. What changed after Jesus? He sent the Holy Spirit. And then were cities saved? Well, I mean, Jerusalem was changed. Within six months of the Holy Spirit coming, over 100,000 believers. Okay? Acts 8, when they're persecuted and when they're scattered, Philip goes and preaches to what? A city. And what happens to the city? The whole city comes to faith. And there was great joy, the Bible says, in that city. So what changed? The Holy Spirit of God. And listen to me. If a church wants to make any type of impact in their community or to the nations, it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That is it. And most of the times, again, we get out ahead of in front of our skis and we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and we try to do everything our own and we can do it through planning, we can do it through fundraising, we can do it through all these gimmicks, but we don't impact the world. And we don't do what he's truly called us to do because we're not listening to his voice. So the Holy Spirit of God sent Barnabas and Saul out. Now, why did the Holy Spirit of God do that? Because Jesus said that. Right? Do you know that? If you have your Bible, look to Acts, or not to Acts, but look to Matthew 10. I just want to show you something in God's Word. Because that verse there in Acts 13, 4 is a really, really important verse 
because it says they were sent out. Barnabas and Saul were sent out of the church of Antioch. Okay, so look at verse 1, just one verse, then we're going to look down. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Okay, so that's what he did. Okay, now look down to verse 16. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snake and as harmless as doves. Okay, so who sent us out first? Jesus. He sent out his disciples. Now, did Jesus just say these words for his disciples? Well, if we were going to say all disciples, yes, but not just the 12 disciples. This is for everyone. How do we know it's for everyone? Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He just continues Jesus' ministry, correct? That's what Acts 13 is about. The Holy Spirit of God is sent by whom? Jesus, right? Jesus sends the Holy Spirit of God. So what does the Holy Spirit do according to Jesus? If you go back and read the book of John, he does whatever Jesus tells him to do. Okay, what did Jesus do on this earth? Everything the Father told him to do, correct? That's what Jesus says over and over and over again. I come to do the will of the Father. I can do nothing apart from the will of the Father. Okay, why is this so important? Well, we believe in a triune God, right? We believe in how many gods? One God. But that God reveals himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So are they one? Yes, they are one. Do we know them as three? Yes, we know them as three. How is that possible? I have no idea, and nobody else knows. And you can't define that? I can't define that because we can't understand it because he's God and we're not, right? Okay, I don't know how that's possible, but there's one God. Somehow he reveals himself three ways, okay? Is there any any sway in the Godhead here, in their mission, in their plan, in their love, in their faithfulness. No, they're one and the same. They're the same. And we even shouldn't use the word they because it's one. So you have God the Father who sent God the Son, and we know God the Son. We know all about Jesus Christ. But now God the Holy Spirit we don't know so much about. But they're the same. And I'm telling you, all the Holy Spirit does is exactly what Jesus did, and he just continues his ministry. And how does he continue it? Through you and me. Because we're indwelt with whom? The Holy Spirit of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And through the Holy Spirit, that's how we do everything. So all the Holy Spirit does is continue his ministry. And so what did Jesus say to us? While he was on this earth, literal words here in Matthew 10, 16. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Okay, now how are we sent out as sheep among wolves? It's not hard. It says it right there. Jesus in red letters, if you have a red letter Bible. Jesus says it. Okay, as sheep among wolves. That's how Jesus chose to send us into this world. So think about this just for a moment. Has a sheep ever 
killed a wolf. No. Wolves are undefeated against sheep, correct? I mean, sheep ain't got much of a chance against a wolf, right? Okay. But how is Jesus sending you out? As sheep among wolves. That's how you're going out. Okay, now, as a sheep, okay, I'm a sheep. I'm a follower of Christ. As a sheep, I got some questions about this. Okay? Now, wouldn't it be a lot better for me as a sheep to stay in my pen and not go out there and get attacked by wolves? That'd be better for me, right? Okay? How many people do we have in our churches, that's their mentality? I mean, how many? We have big pens, right? We have big pastors right here. We have churches everywhere with a lot of buildings, with a lot of walls that keep us separated from people out there, right? And so what do most churches do? We pin up our sheep, right? And what do we want? We want our herd to grow, don't we? We want to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? Because how do we define success in the American church? Bigger churches, they must be better, right? They must be more successful. They must be godly. They must be doing this. Why? Because they're bigger. Is that not how we define success in America? Is that how Jesus defines success of a church? Oh, what are you supposed to do? Send them out. Send them out, and you need to prepare them when you send them out, by the way. So when we go out, do we need just to go out to places where we can succeed and where we can look good and where we can feel good about ourselves? No. Do we not need to go to hard places where we might face danger, where we might be persecuted, where we might be killed? Does the Bible ever say that? Just go where you're safe, and then I'll do the rest. Hey, guys, why don't y'all just go to the soup kitchen downtown, and you let me worry about North Korea? Is that what he says? No, he doesn't say, hey, guys, y'all just stay close and you take safe trips and you do safe things and you share the gospel in safe places and I'll send my angels to North Korea to those deep, dark places where the gospel can't reach and I'll take care of it. Does he say that? He never says that. Is that his plan? No. What's his plan? Guys, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. That's what he says. Now, we don't like that, right? I don't like that. I don't like that for my children. Do you want to know the number one hindrance to missions in America? Parents. How many of you want your kids to go be missionaries in Iraq? Or in Syria? Or in Indonesia? or in places where they kill Christians. How many of you want to send your kids out? We don't have a lot of people raising their hands for that, right? Why? We want to protect our kids. We don't want them to hurt. We don't want them to have a harder life than we had. We want them to have a better life than we had. Why? 
I mean, is that biblical? No. Think about everything we do on this earth. Everything we do is basically try to turn where we are now into what God promises in the future. Right? We want it as easy. We want it as comfortable. We want it as peaceful. We want it as joyful as it can be. None of those things are bad. But is that what God promises on this earth? But what has the American church tried to turn this earth into? That. You can have your best life now. Balarky, baloney, bullcrap. That's nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. Your best life is yet to come. Okay? Your life now is you are sheep among wolves. And that's where Jesus placed you. Is he wrong? He's sovereign. He knows everything. That's where he puts you. That's where he placed you. So if you wake up surrounded by wolves tomorrow, so should you be surprised? No, because why? You were led there by your shepherd. Correct? Okay, now this should put Psalm 23 in a new light for you because we don't like looking at Psalm 23 like this, but you might want to connect Matthew 10 to Psalm 23. The Lord is what? And what does he do? He leads me. Now, thank God there are times he leads me beside still waters and he lets me lay down in green pastures to rest. But, woo, get to verse 4. <coughs> Even though I walk. Now, why are you walking? Because you were led there, correct? Because the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he do? He guides you. He leads you. He takes you where he wants you to go. Is that not what a shepherd does? The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death. Now, why would a shepherd be taking sheep into a valley where there are shadows and there can be death? That means there's wolves up in those hills ready to pounce and attack, right? But even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who do we got with us? He is with us. And then the best part of the verse gets to the end. And what is that verse talking about? Not on this earth. It's talking about heaven. It's talking about eternity. Okay. So why are we sent out as sheep among wolves? Makes no sense to me. So why does he do it? Well, he tells us if you keep reading these verses. He tells us there. Look at verse 17. Matthew 10 still. Look at verse 17. But be aware, for you will be handed over to the courts, and you will be flogged with whips and synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be what? Your opportunity. This will be your chance to witness and to witness to who? Nations, because you will tell rulers and other unbelievers about me. And when you are arrested, not if, when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So why are we sent out as sheep among wolves? To bear witness of Jesus Christ 
to the nations. Because who are we going to be talking to? We're going to be talking to kings. We're going to be talking to rulers. We're going to be talking to authorities, right? It is our opportunity to the nations to bear witness that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we don't even have to worry about one word we're going to say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is going to do it for us. Because He lives through us. He indwells us. And His power is what does it all anyway. Okay, this is just a great example of this biblically. Go back to Daniel chapter 3. What happened to Daniel or the three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were they taken from their home? Were they persecuted? Were they living as sheep among wolves? They were, and they were taken to Babylon, all the way from Judah to Babylon, and they were living there. And did they get to speak to a king? You better believe it. They got to talk to Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar set up a gold statue of himself, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, made of gold, and commanded everyone to bow down and worship. And those three Hebrew boys stood before that king when they wouldn't bow down, and they said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer ourselves before you today because the God whom we serve can save us. But even if he doesn't, be rest assured of this, we will never bow down to the gold statue or the idols you have set up. Okay? That's what Jesus is talking about. We will have our opportunity. Now, here's a great question for you. When will we have our opportunity? Just before Jesus Christ returns. That's what's going to happen. There is going to be a great wave of persecution against the church just before Jesus Christ returns. And thank God, this will awaken the church. And it will awaken them to do the things they were called to do in the beginning that we haven't been doing successfully for 2,000 years. And that persecution will scatter us just like it scattered the church in the book of Acts. And we will be scattered to the nations. How is that going to happen? I have no idea, but we will be scattered to the nations somehow. And we will stand before kings and rulers and authorities and we will be able to bear witness to Jesus Christ that He is Lord. And then Matthew 24, 14, when all the nations have heard, what will happen? The end will come. Jesus Christ will return to this earth. This is one of the primary reasons I don't believe the rapture happens before the tribulation. What does Jesus say in John chapter 16? On this earth you will have what? He says tribulation is what He says. On this earth, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's what happens when Jesus sends us out, so that we can bear witness to the nations. But there's another reason. It's so that our faith can not only be tested, it can be proved. Okay? Look at it. Look at verse 21. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. Now that's a great encouraging verse, right? But look at what it says next. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. You know what endurance is? It's a proof of faith. So will everyone, when persecution comes in the church, endure till the end? No. Because everyone in the church is not faithful. Everyone in the church is not saved. And so this is going to be the beginning of the separation between the wheat and the chaff. 
And you can read about that. Jesus talks about it a lot, Matthew 24, 25, if you want to read it. There will be a final separation between the wheat and the chaff, Revelation 14, when Jesus returns, I believe, at the rapture, and the angels will do that. They will come and harvest the wheat, you and me, follower, true followers of Jesus Christ, but we will know who they are even before the end because what's going to separate us? Persecution. Persecution is going to separate us. And so when all nations hate us, when father is turned against son, son against father, brother against brother, when all these things happen, the cream will rise to the top. And you will know who true followers of Christ are. You will know even before Jesus Christ returns. So our faith will be tested. But one last thing, this is why Jesus sends us out. And for me, this is one of the primary things He sends us out. Look at verse 24. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even by worse names. So who are we to be like as we are sent out as sheep among wolves? The master. We're to be like Jesus. This is sanctification. This is what, in the end, will make us just like Christ. What will it be? Persecution. That's what makes us just like Him. Did Jesus Christ face persecution on this earth? Of course He did. Now, who are we to think that we will not face persecution? I would like not to face persecution. I mean, honestly, I'll tell you that. I'll honestly say that Matthew 10, 16 is not my life verse. Any of yours? I will send you out a sheep among wolves. Is that your life verse? I don't know whether that's anybody's life verse. We don't like that. But it's God's plan. And it's the plan that makes you more like Christ. And it's the plan that reaches the nations with the good news that Jesus Christ saves. And then all the promises we read about in the Bible, they come true. There's one last verse, just so you know why Jesus says what He says and what's going to happen. One of my favorite promises in Scripture is out of Romans chapter 8. It's my favorite chapter in Scripture. But I want you to listen very carefully because you probably haven't listened to it this way. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, who is sent out here in Acts 13, by the way, listen to what he says at the end of Romans chapter 8. Verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And verse 36 is important. As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being what? Slaughtered like what? Now, why in the world will we be slaughtered like sheep? 
because we're sent out as sheep among wolves, right? But verse 37 gets better. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. we are promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because of that promise, one day we will set a table before our enemies. And not only that, according to Jesus himself, he will take off of his robe and he will serve us. And we will eat and we will feast. And then we will live in a place called heaven forever. Because we endure to eat. So this morning, test your faith. Make sure it's strong. Make sure it's source is Jesus. Because you're going to need that faith. Sooner than later. Sooner than later. Because night is coming. And then no man can work. So maybe we should be faithful to do the things we're called to do before it comes. Go read John 9 for that. One of my favorite stories really comes from where we get modern-day missions, the way we do missions today. It's from the Moravian Church, and if you know much about the Moravian Church, the Moravian Church was, it's not now, the Moravian Church was, if there ever was a church that had a missional ministry, it was it. And back in the 1800s, there was a landowner in the West Indies who had slaves, and he hated the Word of God, he hated the Gospel, he hated preachers, he hated missionaries, and he made the decree that no one would ever share the Gospel on his land. His land was an island, he owned islands. And those slaves lived on that island. So there were two young men in the Moravian church that heard about this, and they wanted to go share the Gospel there. But the only way they could do it was to become slaves themselves. So they sold themselves into slavery to this landowner. Not telling him why, but they sold themselves into slavery. In Hernhook, Germany, they gathered to board a ship. The Moravian church and their parents came to send them off. I'm sure there was weeping. I'm sure there was crying. I'm sure there were doubts. And I'm sure there was a lot of not understanding. But these two men boarded that ship and they set sail for the West Indies. 
And the story goes, as they were leaving the dock, they stood watching their family, and one grabbed the other by the hand and raised it high, and he cried out this, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that's the last words their family ever heard from them. They were sent out as sheep among wolves. But I guarantee you one day, you'll get to meet those two young men if you're a follower of Christ. Because nothing can separate them from God's love. Not death, nor life, not angels, nor demons. Not our worries about today, not our fears about tomorrow. Nothing in all creation will ever separate us from His love that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise of Scripture. Because that's a promise forever and ever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. So cling to it. No matter if you wake up tomorrow surrounded by wolves, cling to the truth of the gospel. Cling to your hope in Jesus. Because in the end, that's all we got. Amen? But in the end, that's all we need. That's all we need. Well, bow with me. Let me pray, Lord. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.